Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, it's Scott. I'm your host. Welcome back to another episode of Spin Magazine Lip Service. I'm joined today with my co-host, Kiki Wangu. Hey, Kiki, how are you? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Excited to get into it today. Our guest is a singer, songwriter, producer that has been nominated for not one, not two, not three, but five Grammys and has won two. He's defied genres and lists the credits. is way too many to mention. He's a pioneer, a renaissance man, and he is Shooter Jennings. For nearly two decades, Shooter has delved into country rock and beyond, ascending from music royalty. He's released eight albums, countless EPs, founded his own label, and gone on to produce countless amazing artists. Excited to get in today, Kiki. We're going to chat about his career, his production, Brandy Carlisle, maybe Nine Inch Nails, a whole bunch of things. He's never been here before. So coming up in just a moment, Shooter Jennings. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. More importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Welcome me to the show, Shooter Jennings. How are you, my friend? Good, man. How are you? We're doing great. We're doing great. Great to have you here. You're actually on the other end of this this time because you have your own radio show, your own podcast, too. Right. What do you prefer, by the way? Man, I mean, well, the podcast was kind of a one-off thing several years ago, but I really enjoyed doing that. That was a lot of work. It wasn't it wasn't like this, though. It wasn't like an interview thing. It was more like a episodic kind of... Stephen King-esque? Yeah, probably. That's a good way to to putting it but um but yeah i uh i love doing the radio show though i've i've had it 16 years and and it's it's really a huge part of who i am and and uh, over the years it's just it's kind of kept me because it's a music show right so i kind of have to program an hour and 45 minutes of music for every episode every week and it's like i end up having to just constantly keep up with like what's being released you know and and kind of be invested in that and i i really enjoy that and I know your your uh, influences are everything from you know obviously Nine Inch Nails to tons of other stuff. We'll get into that. But can you? How deep can you go on your own show? Can you get into the rock world a little bit, or is it mostly? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay. It's on it's on Outlaw Country, but but like they, uh, you know, I okay. So they they kind of asked me if I would be interested in doing a show. I think they kind of thought that it was just, you know they they've over the years given 
different artists like their show and it lasts like a couple months or a year or something. I don't, I don't know that they knew I was going to hang on for six, 16 years because I'm that I'm like the oldest DJ on the show. You know, I've been there the longest, but, um, you'll be 95 awesome. hosting a show <laughs> yeah, like, like Santa Claus music. My, I'll and, my channel. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, you know, in the very beginning, they, they, they kind of, the way they usually set it up for people is they have like a, bunch of songs that are in their system and then I would like they I, they want me to pick a couple like leading in and out of the breaks and then I'd go in and do like three or four shows at a time you know and I, I, I wasn't I wasn't feeling that and I asked him I said hey can I just do it at home and then I'll send you everything and we started doing it that way and once I once I did that it was like I because I, I just wanted to play everything because I was I was thinking at the time I mean you know I'm 43 now I was 20 six or something when I started it and I was on the road all the time and me and the guys in my band would listen to all this music on our bus, you know, and it would be like, it, it could be anything from Nine Inch Nails or like, you know, Metallica or whatever to, to, um, the Sex Pistols to like, you know, Robin Trower or like, uh, David Allen Coe or like whatever it was we were listening to. And I, I kind of was like, I want to, I want to do what we do in our hang and do that on the air. And it, and it kind of, it, it speaks to me because as, as I'm sure you guys, like as being people who were surrounded by MTV for so long, and it was, there was, there was not, there were genres that were like defined like yo MTV raps, yeah. and, but it was all on one channel. And it was like, you kind of became aware of everything that was coming out. You knew about all these different types of artists, you know, r really except for country in a way. But, um, so for me, it was like, I wanted to just do it that way. I wanted to, to pick everything and kind of do when they said, sure, you can do whatever you want. And then, and so yes, to answer your question, I dig, I go into all kinds of music. I play sometimes, uh, you know, it'll be classical bits or sometimes it'll be like Sam Kinison clips or sometimes, you know, it just doesn't matter. Like, so we might hear like Slayer on the Outlook. Uh, yeah. Channel. Yeah. You I mean, go that deep. I'm not a huge Slayer <laughs> right. fan only because it was like when it got, when it, when I like Slayer, but like when it gets to where there's no like groove to it, you know, yeah. I, so there's like limits to the, how far, but I mean, I like, like, like Norwegian death metal. Cause that stuff has right. these slow jams. Oh, that's like, awesome. Like, that's uh, my shindig right there. Oh yeah. I like, love like that. mayhem. And that's yeah. some dark, dark shit. That's, dark yes. that's, that's very dark. Oh my that's, God. Uh, <laughs> almost disturbing. <laughs> yeah. I played, I like that about it. Uh, no, I, no. So I, I played like dark throne on there and stuff, you know? So it's kind of like, like it depends on what it is, but it's usually kind of rotates around my taste to some degree or me and my friends taste. But there's also like, we have a discord channel and, there's lots of people listening to give us like a request and it, they, they, it runs the gamut. Like, you know, faith no more. And then the next thing will be like, like some bluegrass thing from back in the day, like Bill Monroe or something, you know? So I love it. Well, it's awesome. There's so much to talk about. Obviously a new record with Yale Wolf that came out earlier this year, you know, and the touring that's been going on nonstop, but more importantly, the show is your story. It's your life. It's a little bit about how I built this sort of the rock and roll version of that. So if you don't mind sharing some stories, taking it back to the beginning, sure. I, I think you grew up in Tennessee. I did grow up in Nashville, moved here when I was 20. So I've been here longer, but I grew up uh, uh, in Nashville. My my dad was from Texas. My mom's from Arizona, and but they were living in Nashville, doing the whole thing there when I was born. And I don't know. I I was a rock kid first, really. So to me, there I didn't really like this. There was really not my type of scene happening there um, in Nashville. I wanted it was like New York or L.A. was like the move, and I, I had quickly fallen in love with LA for a lot of reasons. I mean, 
when I was a little kid, my dad did a, a movie here. Um, they did stagecoach and we moved to a hotel here for like a couple months over a couple different periods of time. And I like wanted to live here then. And, you know, I, I always say the Muppet movie is the reason why I moved here, but it, it really is kind of <laughs> yeah. true. Like when I was a kid and I saw that movie, I was like, that I'm, that's where I want to go. Who would have known that the Muppet movie was a huge influence in Shooter yeah, Jenner? Yeah, awesome. man. And, and it, it continues to like Paul Williams <laughs> yeah. and the Rainbow Connection. Some of my favorite songwriting of all time, you know. But you were on tour a bunch as a kid with your dad and, and I was and I some was. of your early musical memories or, or being on tour. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's weird because you take a lot of that for granted kind of like when you're whatever your parents did you know you kind of were like oh that's what my parents do but I would travel uh when I was really young I traveled all the time and then once I kind of got into school it would be just during the summers but yeah I, I remember being on tour with with Willie and and his kids are still really good friends of mine his daughter Amy particularly and I have been really close friends our whole lives and and then there was the highwaymen I remember like because there were two the, the highwayman happened in 84 so i was like five wow. and i remember we went to germany and i remember we we went to the berlin wall and people like were like looking over the wall and wow. there were guns pointed and stuff oh and my they, gosh I remember they brought dogs <laughs> on the bus i remember that there was That's a very awesome. faint memory but and then we went to um then in 89 was the highwayman 2 and we went to Australia. I remember doing that tour with them and, and having my like 11th birthday or something in, in Sydney. I remember that. I mean, so I'm, I'm really fortunate. I got to like see all this, this kind of stuff, especially when it got to that high women level type thing. It was such a big deal. They were like, you know, really doing these big places. And and then by the time like they had, and I guess I'm, I'm kind of benchmarking it with the high women because by the time they had done high women three, I was like 17. I already had a band. And I, I, you know, or guys I was like trying to have a band with and I didn't want to tour anymore. I went with them. I wanted to stay home and, and work on my own thing, you know, a bit. And, but before that, like, what's it like growing up as Johnny Cash is around you? Obviously, Willie Nelson, like you mentioned, Chris Christopherson. What's it like growing up around all those legends in the music business? I mean, like, like I or said, they're just you, your you, father's yeah, friends. Yes, at that point, right? it is, it is kind of like that. it takes a while for you to, like, get perspective on things, you know. So so I, I remember them, um, you know, very, very. Uh, clearly especially i mean johnny cash uh was very kind guy and i remember he and i had several conversations he he was you know my godfather in and so like there were i remember well it was weird i had a godfather that i didn't really know that my dad had it was a manager and my dad had a falling out watch it adam just kidding <laughs> 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 no, he had a um, falling out with the guy and and I remember he, he like let me pick a godfather and I picked cash. I was like seven, you know, or something. And yeah, that guy and looks cool. Let's yeah, just this one. I just remember he was warm, you know, and he was around and, and I knew they were really good friends. It was like, but you know, and like my dad's kind of best friends cause cash didn't really, he left, he lived part of the time in Jamaica, part of the time out in Hendersonville. So my dad's really closest friends were um, like Tony Joe white who, who he hung out with all the time. George Jones, who he hung out with a lot. They were, they were in town, you know, and of course, Willie, but he lived in Texas, you know, so they were kind of, so I would see them around in the touring, you know, vehicles to, to what, you know, to some extent, but it, but it was, it was cool. I mean, music was around all the time and I, and I was in studios and I loved that. That was something that at a very young age, my favorite place to go was always the studio. And I, I wish I could, I had been fully conscious, you know, for a lot of it because 
I know that we were in Chips Moman's studio for a lot of things, and I wish I had like known what was going on, like what <laughs> equipment was being used in there, <laughs> what methods. You would have been a taking notes on the drum set. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. As as, like, three looking. Yeah. Oh my god! Well, you started yeah. playing drums when you were five. Is that correct? I did. I started playing That's drums crazy. really early. Yeah, wow. I was, that was my first thing that I liked. I think that I, you know, was into. It's weird because my dad. My dad said later in life, he's like, you know, I always wanted to play drums. I wonder what my life would have been like if I had been a drummer. And wow. I always thought, wow, that would have, that's, would have been totally different. He <laughs> would have needed a station wagon because right. I'm a drummer. So <laughs> yeah, they sure. exactly. I mean, he probably had one already. But, um, but it's interesting. You grew up fairly religious too, right? Yeah. I mean, my mom is really religious. Like she grew up, um, I mean, I, I feel I'm personally religious, but like she, she, her mother was a preacher and she grew up in a house, played in the band. They lived in the church, in the back of the church that they, they grew up in. So uh, that was definitely a big part of our life growing up, you know. And, of course, like when I was a teenager in my early 20s, I'm just like gunning for L.A. and not thinking about anything. But the older I get, I, the more I've come back to it, you know, because I appreciate having that in my household. You know? yeah. yeah. And the origins of the name? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the 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 story that everybody always told everybody is I pissed on the nurse and that's why they called me that. But I think I think they were on the fence about it, and then that sealed the deal because there was a kid. It's funny. There was a kid, and my mom's my mom went to church, and there's a a woman that was there who had a kid. They named their kid Shooter, and my mom thought that was really funny. And now if and so that's where they got the idea for the name. And then now if you go to Nashville. There's a station called Hippie Radio, and they the, the shooter Stein is on it all the time. He has like a uh, like a home alarm company, and he's always like advertising his <laughs> his. And, and I was like, that's actually where I got the name. Is that dude? the home alarm guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the other story is great, so we'll just stick with the yeah, other we'll story. Yeah, we'll stick with the cool one. <laughs> <laughs> and growing up, would you say you were like an MTV kid? Obviously, is that sort of your first introduction besides being on the road with your dad? Do you feel like that was sort of where everything started for you? Yeah, it was like two different worlds, really. You know, I, I kind of like I loved my dad's music. I always did. And he would, you know, they were very musical, my mom and dad. So they pl would play like listen to music in the house or by other artists and stuff. Not like normal people, not like regular people listen to music in the house, though. It wasn't like we had music playing all the time. It'd be like if he found an artist he liked, he'd play it in the house and he'd listen to like an album like a thousand times yeah. in, in his in this room, you know. But um, but yeah, MTV was huge for me. Like when I when I was uh, God, I mean, it had to. I remember my mom didn't want me to watch it at first. Was like Madonna and Prince and all these stuff. You know, of course, I just want to watch it more. Yeah, and, of course. And I like love Prince. He turns out to be my, my dad. He say he's a great guitar player though, because she because she would be so about the imagery and the yeah. sex stuff. But um, and Madonna, all those artists. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 and then Madonna with all the anti Jesus stuff that or or whatever it was, the controversial religious uh, stuff she would do. So yeah, I I couldn't wait. I remember I saw. Uh, my buddy and I talked about this years ago too. It was like a faith by, by George Michael. I remember like seeing that and being like, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> you know, it's like, it was, it was such a cool, like that was a, a first early impression of guns and roses. Of course was a, I mean, I was six when, when appetite came out and it, but it really took like two years to catch on. So I was about eight or nine once like, um, sweet child of mine was like a big hit. And, and I remember being like, thinking that that sounded like a skeleton singing to me like when i heard axel's voice like it was yeah. 
intimidating to me, you know, and I was like, this is the, the most dangerous, cool music I've ever heard. And then it kind of just led me, I was obsessed after that. Like I watched MTV all the time. Uh, you know, I'm a Beavis and Butthead kid, like generation, <laughs> even though I was my, I was, I was like Beavis and Butthead's age in the show in real life. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So like, right. that's where, that's where I, I was, you know? So I had the greatest life because I got to experience the eighties as a kid and then the nineties and the rock and roll explosion. And, but it really and, was, it really was Trent and nine inch nails that really set yes. you off on this path. Right. Well, and it was, cause I, I mean, I was a computer geek and as a kid, I wasn't a cool kid by any means. And, and I could play drums and I could play piano. I'd taken some piano lessons. And so when I heard, I remember I was in eighth grade and I heard um, Broken for the first time and a kid named Seth Feeman had it. And I was like, so like, what is this? It was the most aggressive, darkest thing I'd ever heard, but it was like cool and it had all these sounds going on. And then like the downward spiral came out, I was 15 and I was like, this is end all be all of all records for me. And then I, I realized that he did it like, you know, basically they did it on a computer with some keyboards and I'm like, I can do that. Like it made sense to me. It was a language that made sense to me because I didn't grow up playing guitar. I didn't grow up like at a young age picking up an instrument. I, I was dabbling in drums and dabbling in piano, but like that made sense. I could see a clear path between me and what in the downward spiral. And I was like, if I, I can do that, I can pursue that. Also, the fact yeah. that Trent was recording everything by himself, yeah. ultimately, right? He was playing, yeah. sort of programming the drums, and so you were like, "Okay, I think I could be a one-man band here." Right? Yeah, this ama- yeah, totally. And it was like my first band was basically I couldn't play guitar, so I had two guys, Matt and Bodie, were these two dudes that were in my band, and they were the two guitar players, and I would just program everything else and sing, like because I those that was what I couldn't do, you know. Right. So it was kind of like uh, that was the beginning of of it for sure, and it, and it's weird because that that still pulses through me to this day like I still do a lot of programming and I it's still the language that I understood first and makes the most sense with music you know yeah and then from there you got into glam a little bit obviously led led to Bowie yeah Beatles Pink Floyd yeah nails led to Bowie I I already liked what I'd heard of Bowie but when he went on tour with them uh uh somewhere a couple years after you know because it was like after Woodstock and after Nine Inch Nail, I mean, after Downward Spiral, when that all happened, I just went down the rabbit hole on Bowie, and that led to the Beatles, and it led to, to Pink Floyd, and I was obsessed with The Wall and Ziggy Stardust and The White Album. Those were like my, my first three old records that I just listened to all the time, you know, and that kind of, I kind of went all the way down the rock rabbit hole, and then then went to the country thing, and, and finally understood that, but I had to get a little older to understand the the kind of folk mentality of the songwriting it was it wasn't about the music like rock was so about this musical thing that was you know explosive inventive exciting music and then some cool words that went with it you know that was a different kind of approach than than uh, country was at least up until that point you know it's great because i always say there's so much on youtube that you don't know is still there so i went down a rabbit hole i was checking out some of your earlier bands and you could <laughs> see sort of the, the hard rock hair metal influences right. even back then in fact one of the one of your earlier bands reminded me of a band called junkyard i don't know if you know oh, back yeah the yeah everyone used to compare us to them yeah so stargun was when we because i moved here i was 20 and uh, I had I moved here with a band and we did like we were playing the Viper Room and was we that Kill Raven that was the the first well thing. Kill Ra- well Kill Raven was actually the industrial band with the two guitar players and and we changed at one point. 
because I'd gotten so into Bowie, we'd gotten so into T-Rex and all that, that we like changed the name of the band to Stargun and then moved here. Uh, okay. And we were a rock band at that point. So <laughs> Kill, Kill Raven was like industrial, you know, but it right. was like just like next door to the project in, you know, kind of conceptually. But, um, but yeah, we moved here. And so we would play, Stargun would play on the Sunset Strip all the time. And everyone was like, you sound like Junkyard. And I didn't know who Junkyard was <laughs> yeah. at the time. I, I've listened to him now. I actually take it as a compliment. By the way, great band. Cool. My, my band used to play with them all the They're time. And it's so cool. underrated. I mean, they were doing the Southern Rock thing mixed with like Motley Crue back in the yeah, day. No, yeah. no one was doing that. See, no one I didn't. I, uh, I was, it was, I guess we were kind of neighbors by proxy, but, yeah. but didn't know, you know, I, I, but uh, that was funny. I heard that name all the time back in the day. <laughs> yeah, well, it's great what you can find on YouTube because I, I was happy to see that. But at what point did you sort of fall in love with country? There was a, was there a moment, you know, an aha moment where you're like, you know, was, I, I think this sure. country is my calling at this well, point. Well, it's weird. I mean, you know, a lot of it's, I guess with most people too, it's like rooted in, in your childhood a bit, you know? And so, I mean, not even my dad's thing. Like if, when I was a kid, I remember we went on in like eighth grade. We in school we took like a field trip somewhere, and and kids were bringing their Walkmans, you know. And everyone listened to Guns N' Roses and Hank Jr. Those were like the everyone that was the the two things, right? So and that was right before the grunge thing hit. Uh, it was just kind of trickling in at the moment. Um, but so so I remember kind of getting to a point when I was in my twenties. My dad passed away which I'm sure had a, an impact on it too. And me kind of appreciating his, his music and kind of turning around and looking at it. But at that time, I'd also really gone so far down the rock rabbit hole, uh, just realizing that I'm like a music file and a collector. And I'd gotten into like the chamber brothers and like, like uh Quicksilver messenger service. And I'd gone and like, you know, uh, wishbone ash. I'd gone like down these hardcore, like, British rock obscure like, rabbit obscure, holes, yeah. Right. And I kind of like, uncle to whoever, you yeah. Know. And I, so I was kind of like, uh, figuring myself, figure like kind of wanting more, you know. I'd kind of found all the bands, even though I hadn't, but I in my mind. So there was kind of this like going back to the country thing, but there was also this like, hey, that that Hank Jr. thing popped out to me, you know, and I started listening to Hank Jr.'s music a bunch. And 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 it connected with me in a way that even my dad's did. And even though I, I understood his, there was something about those early there's like a run of Hank Jr. records from like Hank Williams Jr. and Friends all the way to like The Pressure Is On, which is like twelve records and they're just amazing. And he was the first guy to kind of blend like up until him like Southern rock was, you know, Almond brothers and Skinner were not really in the realm of country, even though they were influenced by it. They were more like on, they were on tour with like the who and stuff, you mm -hmm. know? So he kind of brought those bands, that style into country, which is now being like perverted still to this day by all the, you know, pop country things and how they, they do that. But it was really Hank Jr. That did that first and, and kind of merged the path of Southern rock and, and country in a way. And, coming from this kind of Southern rock, hard rock thing that I was in, it was like a gateway drug to the old country. You know? And then eventually Hank Sr., I would assume. That's right, too. but yeah. it took me a long time to really even like Hank Sr. Because yeah. it, like Bob Dylan did, it took me a long time, and now he's like one of my favorites of all time, if not my favorite of all time, but like songwriter, it's like, it, it just took me a minute to get 
to that. Get and, to that, you know, yeah. And and Hank Jr. was kind of the the pathway to that, you know. By the way, when you when you're growing up with a, you know, when you're around your dad and it's such iconic music, do you realize what an impact he's having on music at that point? Or are you no. too young to really realize? No, like, I'd heard stories. His legacy. Heard stories from him, from other people. Understood that he made a huge impact, but. You, until you get a scope of it all, until you really like listen to all the stuff and you can kind of see the the evolution and really map it out in your mind, it's kind of hard to see that. But then once you do, you realize like, wow, like it was a massive change in country music, you know. And, and it's so funny because at that time, like a lot of people look back at like Waylon and Willie and they're like traditionalists are like, man, that was the, 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 that's real country. But like at that time it was like metal or something, you know, because there were, it was, everything was very slick. It had been very like folky and and Irishy, and it became a very slick like polished string thing. So for them to come and be doing this like raucous like upbeat like funky rhythm riffs, kind of singing about drugs and you know there'd been drinking songs, but they were usually like had a had a moral to them. They weren't right. like they weren't like uh, <laughs> celebrating uh, you know uh, excess. But yeah, there was a lot of that stuff. You know, it really kind of created i mean but it hit the world in a way they've never had platinum records double platinum and triple platinum they're all they all all of a sudden that was catching on like at a time and it's it's also weird it's it's weird how country does that it's always at a time when when um the world is in conflict and everybody's really divided that country comes and become has this wave and then, and then when everything gets okay, that's when rock comes and tears it all down again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's for like sure. It's a cycle. <laughs> it's interesting. Your dad said that when you were younger, don't ever try and be like someone else because you're never going to be. Yeah. So what does that mean to you exactly? I think he just, you know, I remember when he said it to me, I was in a, you know, I was starting my first bands and stuff, and I was like kind of relating to other artists and, and kind of doing things a certain way. And I think he was just trying to let me know, like, like and I think he also meant it, in just personal life, like, like you're, you have, you're different. It's not better or worse. It's just that you're, you, you are, you, you have your strengths and your weaknesses based on who you are. You can't like, you know, juxtapose those up against somebody else's and, and, or like, you know, lay them, lay them on top of each other and compare them. It's like, you be yourself. If you try to be like somebody else, you're never going to be yourself. You're never, that yourself is what makes you special, you know? So don't try and follow, just kind of, you know, kind of lead with your own thing. And that's yeah. kind of, you know, not, not that I don't want that to sound like it was like a narcissistic or like, no, it makes sense. No, it makes your sense. special yeah. thing. It was just kind of like be yourself, you know, don't did try you, to be like anybody else. Did you find it hard to find your own identity? Like with your father and your mother being very famous, sure. uh, what was that path for you? Did that inspire you to go more rock at first? I mean, I, you know, well, no, because I was into the rock thing on my own, right? Mm-hmm. I was just, just kind of like I was in a Nintendo. It was stuff that, that he didn't listen to, really, but it was my world, you know? Um, so I was into that in a natural way. Um, I think I kind of dodged some of the mental ang- anguish that it could have caused by moving here at such an early age because mm-hmm. really nobody gave a shit about who my dad was here, which was nice, you know, in retrospect. Um there was only a couple of people actually that even knew, and and one yeah. of them I met early on was Jerry Cantrell, and yeah. he, he was oh, like, yeah. he was on the show not long ago. Yeah, he was That's like, awesome. "You're a Jennings." Huh? I was like twenty, and he's, he's like, "Right on." <laughs> like, That's about all I got. That's but really. Cool. I was like, "All right, cool." You know, I love Jerry. He's been a friend for years, but I mean, since I moved here, but um, but yeah, like uh, I but I did, and I still do. I mean, it's still you know, there's still a 
what's interesting and I find like I, I'm, I'm so happy where I'm at in my life with the production thing and kind of moving into this other space because it, it, it's, it's been my own path. It's not like I'm trying to avoid the other one, but it's almost like it, the, the parallel of my dad's path and me along the line and doing the country thing. It, it kind of has always been, it's always been there in the picture. You can't get it out of the picture. Sure. There's no way yeah. to like, unless I just did something completely off the map, completely different than him in the country world, like did pop records or something, <laughs> you know, but, but I, I can't help but be influenced by his music because I love it. And that, you know, I was always very proud of it. And so I think it's the, for me as a country singer, there's always going to be a comparison there. There's always going to be a shadow, if you will. Mm-hmm. But all, you know, what's cool is, is, is I've had a very fortunate life because of that in ways there's been times that that's, that's given me breaks that I wouldn't have had before, but at the same time it, it has been kind of a battle. So that, that's why I didn't, you know, to, to kind of shift my life, I didn't do it on purpose, but to kind of shift in the, the production thing, it's really felt like I, I finally found what I was supposed to be doing as opposed to continually just chase that exact same path. You know right. what I mean? And you do, you move to LA, by the way, and you, you hook up with all these great people. Tom Morello, you mentioned Jerry Cantrell. Yeah. So like, what was that like when you first moved here? Because obviously you got into the rock scene right away. Yeah. Not everyone's it, friends with like Tom Morello the first week they moved to LA. Man, I was so lucky. See, Sean Rosigliano was my manager and he and he was a guy I met. I played here in LA. It's it's really just like the 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 uh, cliche LA story. I mean, I came and played a show here and there was a manager in the audience said like, let's bring you to LA, you know, but he was a young guy and loved him. He was such a good guy. Uh, still, he's still around, but he doesn't manage anymore. He lives out, he lives um, in Atlanta and it's a photographer, but he, he moved me to LA and he like took me all around and he showed me like where Charles Bukowski, the book shop he used to shop okay. at and like where, you know, and told me about John Fonte, which it took me 20 years to read, but he was like, telling me all these stories and showing me, took me to El Capadre and there's Billy Gibbons sitting in a, like in a booth <laughs> yes. and, and he's like, uh, you know, showed me the ropes just like in the movies. And, and, uh, he was from the same town as Tom and we're close to the same town. And he went to, he was a elementary school friend with Vince Vaughn also. So his friends were Tom and Vince and, and then Favreau was, was, Vince's friend so like he kind of pulled me into this circle that was those guys and and so they would start coming to shows but Tom was like very very quickly liked my band Stargon a lot and he would come to all the shows and brought all these people and we, we became really close and we'd go to his house all the time to these parties and there'd be like all these people there that I was like, Oh my God, that's Twiggy. And that's like this person. Like I couldn't believe it, you know? And then you went on to work with half of them. Yeah, I did. But I mean, but you know, and like so many of them are, are like really dear friends of mine now that I'm older and it's been 23 years, you know, it's like, but Tom, I mean, our lot, he produced an EP on my band that never came out. And, and, uh, we did all this stuff with us and, I I worked with him, recorded his demos for him for his uh for like the Night Watchman thing and our lives across and then both of our both of us had a son on the exact same day coincidentally, Amazing. so it's uh same year and everything it was like I just actually saw him the other day at our kids cross country meet <laughs> his his, <laughs> his kids school my kids school were running together and so it's it's crazy but that's that became my kind of family out here you know and I was really fortunate. It, it, it really was like, though, you know, it was so outside of my dad's realm, right? Like, there's no way that my dad knew, could have, like, introduced me to Tom, you know? It was like I had found this other 
place and it kind of was the beginning of that and it was really like when you're a little kid and you're watching MTV and you dream hey I want to go there because if I go there I'll meet some like rock stars and then like maybe get to be in a band or like break it with our band and that's like kind of exactly what happened it took 20 years but like to figure out my place but like <clears throat> it really is that dream I mean it, you just got to go there. You got to just put yourself in the mix and, and you never know what will happen. You well, know? Yeah, you mentioned uh, one of the greatest records of all time, Appetite, and you went on to work with Duff, obviously. But yeah. before that even, you actually, I didn't even know this when I did a deep dive that you were considered for Velvet Revolver, <laughs> yeah. So, which is which is a great fact about you that I did not know. So how did that come up? And we'll talk about your solo records too. And But but that's something that I think was like something was I don't think a lot weirdest, of people know. Weirdest thing, <clears throat> weirdest thing. Um, so when my band Stargun, there was a, another friend of Sean Rosigliano's, was a guy named Jason Teague, who I still see, Jason and George and John Teague, well, George Francisco, Jason Teague and John Teague. And they owned this, this compound in Venice, and they also owned a house that Sean's mom lived in, so they owned all this property down there. And they were these kind of, at that time, uh, very successful real estate guys, but like also like to have parties and like, you know, throw throw big bashes. And so they would they liked our band and they would hire Stargun to play like their 4th of July party and do all this stuff. So I remember one of those, uh, and I guess this would have been like 2002. Uh, Sean was like, Duff McKagan's coming to the show. And I was like, <laughs> no way. And that was like God to you back. In the yeah. Day. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. You know, I, that any of them, I mean, but that was kind of it. Like when I was in my house as a teenager, I would be like, I'm going to meet Slash one day. I'm going to meet Axel one day, you know, or whatever. And I would, I would have these dreams of that because they were, they were my first love musically, you know, from the MTV to my heart type thing. Um, but so like, and Danzig, you know, those two, yes. <laughs> Danzig one was my first record I ever bought with my own money though. Did you ever um, see the video of Glenn getting punched out? It's like the yeah, greatest yeah, video yeah. you've ever, by the way. I've seen it. I like I, I rewatch that constantly. I don't know why, but I'm obsessed with that video. Anyway, uh, go ahead. I digress. The, uh, so, so we're at this thing and Duff, uh, showed up and I got to meet him and, and, and he liked the band and, and, um, you know. He definitely probably saw the Guns N' Roses influence in our band and in the way we sounded because it was definitely there. Um, you know, I was a big fan of the Use Your Illusion records. That's I know that's a, a topic of contention. Right. I've got if you if you talk to Tom Morello, we we've argued for years about it because he hates those records and I love those records. Yeah. Like I, I love every song on them. I don't he, know if we needed thirty six songs, but see, I, that's what Matt Sorum says. That's, yeah, I love I, that. I mean, like, I think there's a twenty. Four good songs. Nope. I, don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't give up bad apples. I wouldn't give up yeah, no, I like locomotive. Bad yeah, I, I like. That. I mean, I pretty tied up. I yeah. mean, there's some amazing there some fucking records there in this. Are, are. Now they have that like. You, you think that's enough tracks? Have you seen that expanded one that's like about to come out? I don't. It's I like a hundred and something tracks, and I don't it's know. like we don't live. need all those wow. tracks. We, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> every one of them. I wanted one more than they gave. <laughs> um, no, but like, so he went and saw. You know, <clears throat> he went and saw the show, liked it, and then. They were going to, our band had done some shows opening up for Loaded for his band. Sure. And then there was this show that was going to happen at the King King. Uh, no, not the King King. Um, whatever it's called, the Key Club. When it was called oh, the Key yeah. Club. Azari's back in the day. Diamond yeah. used yeah. to do, because I also, big Motocrice fan. Like when I first moved to town, Danny Nordahl was the first person I met here. Sure. Over anybody, and he's still one of my oldest friends. And, and so uh, Ricky Diamond was doing the, uh, it was like a, his night there and we, they booked Stargun and Loaded was headlining 
And then we got a call like, and I remember my dad had just died. I had just gone and, and gone to his funeral and come back and was kind of in this weird headspace, obviously. And, and they were like, Hey, uh, they want, they ask if, <clears throat> if I would come that, that Matt and slash and duff. And at the time it was actually, um, Keith, I Keith, I don't know how Keith I know Nelson. that. By the way. I have Nelson. no idea how I know oh, wow. that. Keith Nelson. <laughs> I should not know that. I don't know how I know that. <laughs> Keith Nelson was the guitar player and we went and rehearsed. I couldn't believe we were doing like three songs. I think we did a whole lot of Rosie's Paradise, whole lot of Rosie Paradise City and It's So Easy. And I went to this like rehearsal room and then the, at the last minute Keith couldn't do it or something and they and Dave Kushner who I had met prior through Sean Rosigliano who and a guy named John O'Brien who passed away. They used to live together um uh Dave and John and so I I had met him before. And they kind of came and, and, you know, asked me to do this. We did this rehearsal, did the thing, I, I which was like crazy to me because in one, on one hand, I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> you know, this <laughs> is all I need to do. And then we did another one and um, it's Sundance in January, 2003. And that time the guitar player that was in my band came up and we did more songs. We did like um, Sympathy for the Devil, a couple other things. And that was really surreal. And I remember I got an email uh, from someone I didn't know. I never heard of their name or anything. And they said, would you be, cons- would you consider jamming with Matt and the guys? And I said, no, nah, I'm cool. I got my own band. It's all good. But I also didn't think it was real. Like right. I, it was like some it was like random, a spam random, or some random person or they're just asking me. And I, but, I, but my response was just basically like, wasn't like I was shooting it down. It was just like, well, I have this other band and I really care about it. And, you know, and then later in the press, like somebody, I, I told that story just the way I told it and it, which sounded like I shot it down and they ran with that in the press and slash was mad at me. And oh, it was no. like a whole thing for a minute. And I was like, I just wasn't trying to shoot anybody. Down. I would have <laughs> died to be in the band. And there was no, nobody knew that it was going to reunite and become a thing like, <clears throat> you know, but at the same time, I wasn't good enough. I'm going to just straight out say like, I was not good enough a singer to, to handle like old GNR material yeah. or to different do register, thing. right? The way oh, Axel yeah. sings. Totally. So, I mean, yeah. I was like at the top of my register at 20, you know, with like, there's no way I could have done it. And, but yeah, it was, I was, I felt really, uh, honor. That was crazy. And then another time after Scott, they asked me to do, they sent a track and they were asking different people to like do a vocal, write a song to it, you know, which I did. And mine was like so ridiculously horrible that <laughs> I think that I think they just forgave me for the first thing. And you know, it was, it was, it was cool. And it then, wasn't so bad because you went on to produce Dust Records. Yeah, so. that, yeah. which was a totally <laughs> random thing, too, because yeah. I was in a hallway work where I was doing Colbert show with Brandy playing piano. And this guy, Greg Nadell, who runs Electro, was in the hallway and he said, Duff's doing a record. Would you? I had just finished the, by the way, I forgive you record that wasn't even out yet. And he said, Duff is doing a record. He said, it sounds like Old Stones. Would you be interested in producing it? I said, I would love to. I love Duff. I met him so long ago it would be so great to reconnect and do it and 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 he uh he it, it happened we went in the studio he kind of tested me out which rightfully so because i don't think he knew i was even producing records because I, I was i had done stuff on my own label but the brandy record was really the first big record and it had not come out and so we went in the studio and recorded two songs in one night and he loved it and we went and and uh kind of finished planning the record and based on the songs he was writing and I kind of completed some arrangements for him and 
then we went in and did that record, which is really awesome. Great record, by the way. And you, uh, you mentioned winning, a, you know, you mentioned the Grammy. So let's talk about that for a moment. You go on to do a slew of great records. Thanks. And then obviously you won a Grammy not long ago. How did that feel? Awesome. It was awesome. I mean, I, it was an awesome feeling because I thought there was no way that would ever happen in my life. Like I, <laughs> I just didn't think that would ever happen. There was a point in which I realized, like, <clears throat> I'm not selling out arenas. We're not breaking out of clubs. Like, it's, you know... I wanted to, to, the production thing was really in my sights for many years and I'd, I'd been working on a lot of projects that, you know, most people didn't even really hear. But um, when Brandy, I mean, I owe a lot to her because she gave gave me that first shot. Um, you know, Dave Cobb was a producer that I had done seven records with, six or seven records with out here in LA. He was just starting when I was just starting and we'd done our whole thing together. And I'd met Brandy in 2012 and I asked her to sing on a record of mine called Countach because it had, it was a tribute to Giorgio Moroder and when I met her she had the never ending story tattoos the logos tattooed on both of her arms and that was kind of our first bonding point so here I am doing this project for Giorgio Moroder uh, that I know is going to be a wacky record but it was something I was passionate about and he, he wrote the music to the never ending story so I said hey if you if you would sing on my record because I'm going to have a couple guests I had Manson on it and and I was like, uh, this guy named Richard Garriott, who's a hero game designer of mine. And and uh, <clears throat> I asked her, I said, uh, would you do the Never Ending Story? If you do it, I'll put it on the record. And she said yes, and she did it. And then right after that, she goes, I, I want you to, to produce my next record. Do you know Dave Cobb? And I was like, yes, I know Dave Cobb very well. <laughs> I know, very I've been well. working with him for years. Yeah, and so because he had moved to Nashville at that point, I hadn't seen him for a couple of years. So, so she kind of reunited us on that project, and then we won a Grammy for it, and and it was amazing. And then me and her did the Tanya record and won another Grammy, and and so it's like we, I feel that she, her faith in me, in my kind of weirdness honestly was you know asking her to do that weird never ending story thing like led to that record which kind of set me on that path you know because like that record and then duff it was like that and then duff and then tanya in a row and and manson had asked me even before the duff project so we kind of those four records were all happening at that point in time and that's kind of what kicked everything off by know? the way not even you have five nominations five grammy nominations, which is incredible yeah, right. i guess so i, I haven't even thought about <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> just five grammy nominations yeah. uh and fast forward now let's talk about the yellow wolf record it came out in march oh I yeah i think you guys have been friends for like 10 or 12 years how'd you meet yeah, yeah, we met years ago on. I have a, my nephew's a rapper. His name's Struggle, and 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 he's like a year younger than me. And we grew up uh, like brothers, kind of in Nashville. And and he had been trying to to connect me and Yellow Wolf for years because he was like, "You guys are gonna love each other. You're, you're a lot alike. He's one of my best friends." Blah, blah blah, you know. And so, I was in Atlanta playing a show, 2010, and he he we went to see him at the house, uh, at his house, Yellow Wolf's house, at the house at the time, and. Um, and he came to a show and we just kind of, we, we tried to get in the studio. We went in the studio immediately when we met a couple days later, didn't, nothing really came of it. Another time he came here, we were going to go in, nothing really came of it. And then, uh, at one point after I'd kind of really done a lot of records, it was kind of, we revisited it and, and that, and I, man, that record is, is still one of my favorite things I've ever been a part of it. He, he came with nothing really. We just kind of made it. We had two songs. Like I, I basically wrote a, a song called hole in my head. I wrote the music to it and sent it to him in the, <clears throat> this must've been 2019. 
and he sent me back uh, with vocals, and I go, whoa, I, I didn't expect what he was going to send back, and I, I was like, I think we're really onto something with this, and then there was another track I made, which was for what would become Rock and Roll Baby, and then we, we had booked the studio in, let's see, April 2020, right, and the pandemic hits in like March 2020, so we ended up pushing it back to June of 2020, and like three days after the whole George Floyd thing happened. And so it was like, we got like, we got in the studio and it was like helicopters and marching and like in sunset sound right there on sunset Boulevard. And it was like the most intense experience you could ever imagine. Cause like the way sunset sound is set up, there's like three studios and then there's a common courtyard that's outside. So like we'd be in the studio and then you'd come out and it's literally chaos, chaos, the sound of chaos. Like you can't see anything except for the helicopters at night curfews, cops, like get, you know, only cops out and stuff. I live right there and it it was, yeah, there was like bullets flying into my building. I don't know what it was crazy. (laughs) Yeah. It it was really insane. So, so, um, that was kind of the environment and we went and made up the record on the spot with uh, all the, the players that I like, I have like this group that, if I have my way, I use them every time uh, on records and they've been on tons of records with me, but um, it's like Ted Russell camp, John Schreffler and Jamie Douglas and Aubrey Richmond who played a little fiddle on it. She's a fiddle player, but really it was the the dudes for this record. And we just made, they, we, including them, like the, the, the five of us just kind of made it all up in like 10 days. And then he went home and wrote lyrics to it, but he already had like half of it written too. It's, it's amazing how fast his mind works with melodies and lyrics and concepts and stuff. And it, it was really, it, it just felt so special. The experience felt so special and cathartic and emotional. And then to start hearing the tracks after we were like, man, we, whether or not it sells, it's not going to be an indication of whether it's good or not. We knew we had done something really good in rock and roll, something fresh yet, like had all the elements of stuff we loved, you know, from, from time gone by and the, where we grew up, you know, cause we really reached into our childhoods for that record and, and kind of made something that would, would have been our dream as kids, you know? So it's, it's a special really record, I think, also because it defies genres, right? Yeah, we were, talking what, about we that were just bit. talking about that. And I think that it was so cool because I, I saw that you guys did that record together and I was expecting it to be more like hip hop. Um, but it came out, you know, it was like a fusion. You could hear some of like that 80s rock, like riffage, like, um, but at the same time, it was still modern. And like, I, I was shocked. Like I was like, and especially yeah, with uh, <laughs> Make Me a Believer, that music video, oh, I didn't yeah. know what to go into. And I and I was like, every time that he gets like smacked in the face, I was just like, dude, you can feel those lyrics in, in that video. I thought that was really <laughs> Yeah, rad. that's, that's, you know, that was the thing, man. He's a front man. If, there, if there's ever been one, like the Axl Rose school of front men, you know what I mean? And, and, and so he's, he's like a dedicated, dude and like <clears throat> he has these visions you know like i mean i'm kind of the studio rat you know and he and he's like calling us like okay got seven days in vegas we're gonna shoot four videos you know <laughs> so we all had to like we took our bus up to the to vegas and just camped out and shot all these videos and and he had this guy great director named spidey who had who had come up with all all of the concepts and just shot it so efficiently and and it, i mean that he's just a big concept dude yellow wolf so he's he'll just be like you know he'll dream up we're gonna have billboards in every town all of a sudden we had four billboards here and we had like one in nashville and london and like all these places you know and the way he he kind of looks at music is very much from a uh there's there's no ceiling to it you know and 
that's kind of how I look at it in a, in a genre way. Like I've always felt like I, again, like I was the kid who listened to everything. I was around everything. So why, why does it have to be, it just makes no sense to me that to even think about it in a way, anytime I've ever thought about something fitting into something, it's always a flop. It's always just a bad idea. You know what I mean? It's, it's gotta be just kind of this really an example of who you really are in a real way, you know? But that record especially, you're pulling from so many references, as Kiki was saying. There's like synth pop references, country references, hard rock references. There's hip hop references. It's an amazing record. I guess when you when you think about your career and your body work, songwriting or touring, do you prefer songwriting? I studio songwriting big time. Touring is is never been my favorite thing. I I've had wonderful years of touring. I've still I mean I say this, but I've been out on the road with Brandy playing piano for her all year. We've been doing Yellow Wolf dates. Oh, you're, it's just that like the older I get, the travel, I have toll. two kids. It's yeah. like, I don't like being away. If I, it, it's one thing if you're like doing some really great things, but like kind of going to like Peoria, Illinois three, three times a year or wherever, that kind of stuff is just wore me out. And, and especially because we never really could break in my, my solo thing. We never really broke out of like small theater kind of size places. You know, we couldn't really get, we never kind of went to that arena level or anything so so we were always kind of slugging it out in one bus and always kind of you know having to, to all wait to take turns to go use the restroom at the venue you know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> get there there's never really like that you can never afford for it to be something uh too too posh so people it, think it, it's glamorous but then when you not, do it it's, it's, it's not, not really it's you know you have 23 of, hours to kill and you right. got the one hour on stage and the, the best the best time on the road is after the show is over yeah. and everyone's hanging out and, the, and when, when the bus rolls or whatever like it's it's great and i and i love it and there's a guy here named farron who's sitting behind that curtain who who has toured with me from the very beginning on the wow. road and seen every the inside of every club that we've played the the no playlist right. venues like, <laughs> yes. uh you know and and we've been through it i but but at the end of the day it it, it was always a struggle because when you make a record like i was so excited making something new and then you got to go on the road for it for like a year or two. And then you get to go back and do it a year later. And it's like, like to, to the production thing. It's like, I get to do it all the time. And I it's immediate to too. 10 records a year, you know, or whatever, like constantly doing new stuff. And that, 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 that to me is like the most, that that's my happy place. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. And speaking of kids, I was going to say, I heard this great story about your daughter really wanted to go to the Grammys. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and just tell the story a little bit because it, it's it's great how it yeah, all came about. Yeah, she did. My Alabama is, yeah, because she, I mean, she was, you know, here I am nominated for the first Grammy and, and she's like, she, she just wanted to be there. And like the way it was, it's like we were nominated for the album of the year, song of the year stuff. So they put us like in that category and they charge like, thousands of dollars for tickets to get down there in the first place wow. right to get like even to, if you're nominated you can't if, get tickets you, you, yeah. that's right and so or, or she would have had to sit in the nosebleeds with with adam where who was at the very top <laughs> of this place you know and so i was just like and it wasn't you know i wasn't winning it was brandy so it was like it was it was it was impossible for me to get her a ticket 
basically. But she said, Dad, this is going to be the biggest moment of your yes, life. That's, yes, that's. I, I need to be there with you, yes. right? And I said, No, the biggest moment was when you were born. So let's <laughs> fucking slow down. <laughs> but no, no. But it was it, it was one of those things where where I I was heartbroken. She was upset. She was only eleven or something, you know, ten or eleven. So the next year we were up for the Tanny Tucker record, which I pulled together. That whole record was my concept and I brought Brandy into it. And so I felt I had a little more control over that. And, and I was like, we're getting a ticket for her. There's no two ways about it. And I, God, I hope I win, you know, <laughs> which, which I did. And you it did. Was, it That's was awesome. And, and, and it was, an, uh, tears were all around and it was a, it was a, a beautiful moment, you know, and she's a big part of it. Like she's a big part of my life beyond, um, those kind of superficial things. I mean, she's just got a lot of my parents in her and she plays piano and she's just an artist and, and way ahead of her time. And, and so, you know, for her to be proud of me in the first place is good, but to, to have like me letting her down wrapped up in that is, was just, I could not handle that I mean, emotion. Yeah. yeah. You're going to you be know? producing her future records as I well? Should, she'll, <laughs> she'll be producing. Oh, wow. She'll be producing there you. There you go. Before, yeah. <laughs> you go. She, before she lets me produce her show. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, amazing. You recently just did a great uh, Beach Life. You did a tribute to your dad. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about that for a moment. And you shared the stage with obviously somebody that you collaborated with before, Lucas Nelson, yeah. Orville Peck. Uh, and, and your mom, actually, Jesse Coulter. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I had to, like, con her into coming out and doing <laughs> yeah. it. Um, no, you know, Alan, who who uh, is really in charge of Beach Life, and he had the idea to do a Whalen tribute thing, which I would have never gone to somebody and said, hey, how about I do this at your festival? Like, he, he had this idea. But, like, he had the foresight to, that it was going to be really something special because I've... I think I'm just probably a little jaded in the sense that I've, you know, a lot of people have done Wayland tribute shows and a lot of them I've been a part of and a lot of them I've said no to because I, you know, not, they've never, nobody's ever come to me like to, to put one together myself. It's usually someone else putting it together wanting me to be a part of it, you know, to kind of validate it. So when he kind of came with it at first, I didn't know what to think. And then, you know, Adam and I spoke a bunch about it and I was like, okay. All right, let's do it. Let's see what happens. You know, we didn't know it was going to happen because I think he thought, I think Alan was, you know, his idea was basically not much beyond like you and all your, you know, friends. Like, although you do have a great Rolodex, so your friends are not uh, right. But I, but I imagine that his that what he probably thought my Rolodex was maybe a little different than what it ended up being. But (laughs) but what ended up being was really honest, you know. Um, and 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 I think which made it more special in a way and. So it was like, uh, here we are pulling this together, uh, you know, kind of with duct tape and bailing wire, like just figure out who can come. And then this person can't be there. And like leaving was going to do it. And then he was, he couldn't do it because he had another gig pop up. And so they're like, there were all these different great artists that couldn't do it, you know? So we were just kind of hoping we could pull something together really special. And, and, and we did. And, and I mean, like Orville's were my favorite performers hellbound glory is one of my favorite bands of all time one of my best friends leroy virgil he did it uh john brennan from the real world who's become a dear friend of mine over the awesome. years and he's a great singer he came got him to come and do it you know pearl who who has had a, i don't know you probably know scott yeah Ian, right? yeah yeah and he Pearl's, loves daughter yeah 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 and and uh it, you know he my kids are friends with love her her daughter their daughter or their son i mean um and so yeah, I mean, like, just, you know, Mike and the Moon Pies is a band that I've loved and championed for years that my manager, Adam, also manages. And 
And so they, they decided to be the backing band. Like once they were the backing band, that's when I knew it was really going to be something special because like just the fact that people are going to see Orville Peck with Mike and the Moon Pies or like, you know, all these different artists that with Mike and the Moon Pies backing them up was going to be something really special. And then, uh, just to kind of see it take shape and, and I'm, you know, of course I'm on the hook for this thing. So I'm pretty stressed out the, right. uh, the whole like months. Leading You're like, up mom, to can it. you perform with us too? No, I know. Yeah. She's like, I don't know. I'll see it. I'm like, no, you gotta, you gotta do it. You know? right. Uh, but it, but it turned out, it, it turned out great. We had such a good time. And, and again, my kids were there and I embarrassed them. I bring him out on stage, just like my dad used to embarrass me, when, you know? So there was a lot Keep of the tradition. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. All under it. But man, the crowd was huge and they were like so into it. And everybody's writing about how it was the highlight of the festival and all yeah. this shit. I'm like, ah, whew, thank you. <laughs> Glad it worked out. And that, but I was like, I told Alan, I was like, you know what, dude, good on you. You made something really special out of this. And I think it, it was probably, in my opinion, the most special thing that's been done for him yeah. because of that. So I, I I was really happy it happened the way it did. You think there'll be a part two, 2023? I, I am totally open to yeah. it. Yeah, well, let's, <laughs> let's let's put it out there in the world. We uh, any any other acting gigs coming up? Any no, other film no, no, projects no. coming up? No, I'd like to do some score stuff. I'm trying to get into more of that because um, I I love I love uh, instrumental music and composition. That's kind of my thing anyway. So I would like to. I that one acting gig was enough for me to know that's not what I want to do. <laughs> right. I'm not, not good at it. I'm not good at lying. I'm not good at like like you know what I mean? I, I always said like to be a really good actor you have to be able to like walk in a room and tell you that like your whole family burned down in, in a house fire and then like and then just say just <laughs> kidding like but, but watch you like die inside like <laughs> I can't do that. I can't do that. So I think you have to be there's got to be something wrong with you to be able to be a good actor. Definitely. <laughs> They're all faking it. Well, make sure you, everyone check out Sometimes Why, the new project with Yale Wolf. Not that new, but March it came out. Yeah. Uh, obviously, check out all this projects coming up, the Brandon Carlisle records, all the records you're producing. What's on tap for 2023? Anything else we should know about coming up? Man, I got a, just a bunch of records that are coming out. We're, I think we're going to do a Sometimes Why tour uh, sometime next summer. I think we're going to do something like that and maybe another record on that. And then I've just got a bunch of records I'm finishing now that will be coming out next year. So Anything you can talk about? Or? Yeah, there's another Tanya record. There's a Logan Ledger record. There's a, a Jesse Dayton record. There's a... Uh, uh, shoot. Uh, then there's stuff I can't talk about. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there, there, there's a lot of stuff, though. <laughs> maybe the new Guns N' Roses record you could there produce. You that. that would be great. I wish. You know, you know, I will say this. When they were recording, there was a, there was talk. Duff was trying to get me involved in the mixing process, and I was like, I would love to do that. Yeah. But, I don't think Again, we're putting happen. it out there in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> if Shoot. there is a record. I don't think they even do it. Did we'll one. we'll see. Sometime soon, I hope. Shooter Jennings, appreciate yes. you coming in. It's a lot of fun. It's nice to meet both of you. Yeah, Thank it's you. great to meet you, too, and thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. Well, that was fun. Shooter Jennings, if you haven't checked out Sometimes Why, the new project with Yale Wolf, check it out. Not super new at this point. I believe it came out in March. Check out Shooter on Tour. Check out Brandon Carlisle. I'm sure there's many more Grammy nominations and Grammys in his future. He's a great guy, fascinating guy, great hang. And if you like the show, please make sure that you rate and review the show. Five stars is awesome. Hope to see you soon. We have a lot of exciting shows coming up. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. 
The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.